Okay, hey, we're back in 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings, we're in 17. So if I know it's, I think it's been a month since we were in 2 Kings. We were in chapter 13 then, and we've skipped about four chapters, and I'll kind of explain why in just a second. The scripture's in front of you today that we'll be reading through. Um, but we're, we're moving there because what you have in chapters 14, 15, 16 is a list of kings. It's a list of kings of both Judah and Israel. Um, and what you have is four kings of Judah and six kings of Israel. Let me tell you about them just very briefly. First of all, these kings of Judah were Amaziah, Azariah, Jotham, and Ahaz. And let me tell you what's going on in, in, in um, Judah at this point. Things are not great, but they're also not terrible. It's just, it's pretty so-so. And that is until Ahaz becomes king. That's not to be confused with Ahab. All right? Ahaz becomes king, but... In many ways, like Ahab, he walks away from the Lord, and it culminates him in him actually offering his own son as a burnt, as a burnt sacrifice. I mean, just where he went, and he led the, the nation of Judah, it is a dangerous thing. Led the nation to practice idolatry, which is why he offered his son as a burnt sacrifice. And there's only one bright spot in his reign, and that is the very last sentence that speaks of his reign reads like this. It says, his son Hezekiah became king in his place. If you know about Hezekiah... Incredible man used from the Lord, had a lot of other things going on. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to study multiple weeks about Hezekiah. That's Judah. Remember, you have two, two nations right now. You have Judah, you have Israel. Now let's go to the kings of Israel. The kings of Israel, it's a much worse story. You have six kings during this time, and it's Jeroboam, I guess the second at this point, Zechariah, Shalom, Menahem, Pekahaniah, and Pekah. The last five, now here's what's significant about these. The last five of these kings all reigned inside of 30 years. So if you think it's a short reign, about six years apiece, if you, if you want to average that. And the last four of them, the only reason that they became king is because they conspired against the king in front of them and had them killed. So things are not good in Israel, which leads to where we are today. The story that we're looking at today is going to show us the very downfall of Israel. The, what led them into exile, we will see today, and then we're going to talk about that very lead to exile. Because what we see is almost like the, the writer of Second Kings is a historian, but he breaks in his telling of history to basically give us a sermon. A sermon about what happened to the nation of Israel. So let's look at this uh, together. It's verses 1 through 20. It says, In the twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king over Israel and Samaria. And he reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. King Shalomaneser of Assyria attacked him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria caught Hoshea in a conspiracy. He had sent two envoys to the king of Egypt and had not paid tribute to the king of Assyria in the previous years. Therefore, the king of Assyria arrested him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the whole land, marched up to Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He deported the Israelites to Assyria and settled them in Halah along the Habor, Gozan's river, and in the cities of the Medes. This disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And because they worshipped other gods, they lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites and according to what the kings of Israel did. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. They built high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every uh, green tree. They burned incense there on all the high places just like the nations that the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did evil things angering the Lord. They served idols Although the prophet and every seer, they, um, they served idols, I'm sorry, although the Lord had told them, you must not do this. Still, the Lord, Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant and he, he made with, uh, with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves, following the surrounding nations the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. They abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed and worshipped to all the stars in the sky and served Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire and practiced divination and interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained. Even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God, but lived according to the customs Israel had practiced. So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, punished them, and handed them over to the plunderers until he had banished them from his presence. Now I was going to summarize all of that and just offer you a couple of verses today, but I wanted you to feel the weight of what has happened to the nation of Israel. That because they had chose to go their own way, all the, I mean, just time after time, just talking about the, them choosing to do what they wanted to do, walking away from the Lord, and because of that, it's like the Lord had enough in that moment, and he said, fine, that's it. You see, this passage serves kind of like an obituary of the kingdom of Israel. And it's his final words being, and it's final words that are not being filled with accomplishments or faithfulness, like a eulogy. It's not that. It's actually more like a dirge. It's, it's, it's a lament for the dead is what it actually is. You could say this way if you want to use another word picture. This passage right here in 2 Kings 17 is almost like the preacher is doing an autopsy on the nation of Israel. He's opening up the nation of Israel and asking this, what caused them to go the direction that they went? What caused them to fall apart and to fall away from God? And here's what we see. When you open it up, when you do the autopsy and you open it up and you look inside, what you find is that what led the nation of Israel away was spiritual diseases. Diseases that had just literally wrecked them from the inside out. And that's what we're going to look at today. I could list probably 10 of them. I don't have time to do that. But what we're going to do is look at four spiritual diseases that ended up killing the nation of Israel. Disease number one. The first disease was the disease of ingratitude. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, This disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they worshipped other gods. 
And it's interesting, he says, this disaster, it tells him the disaster happened because they sinned against who? They sinned against God. And what God was it? The God who had led them out of, e of Egypt. The very God who had rescued them from slavery. Who parted the Red Sea. Who led them by the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. That is who they sinned against. It's almost like the writer is blown away that how in the world could they ever do this to the very God who would love them and take care of them for so long? I'll tell you how it happens. It happened because the Israelites chose not to remember it. They chose to stop remembering, to, to stop remembering what it is that God had done for them. You see, that thing, the whole thing in Israel, that was the, uh, Egypt, that was the thing of the past. It was something that they didn't see that really mattered to the present. You see, here is a danger that we face in the Christian life. Many of you in this room have been following Jesus for a long time. And here's what can happen to us sometimes. We get in that rut of following Jesus, walking with the Lord. And when things begin to get bad or we have a hardship in our life, the question shifts from, God, look at what all you've done, to, God, what have you done for me lately? Those are two very different questions, two very different things. What happens is, is that we forget. We stop remembering. And when we stop remembering, we stop being grateful. Last night, uh, I took my, my wife and I took our boys trick-or-treating with a, a big group from First Baptist. A lot of families went down 4th Avenue, and um, it was a great time. Some of those people go all out. If you've ever seen the people in, like, the medieval, the medieval house where they are literally launching candy from their, like, Top part. It is great. The kids think it's the best thing. Spent about two hours uh, trick-or-treating. And finally, a little after eight, got back in the car, went to head home. It's late. And as soon as we walk in the house, what do you think my kids say? Dad, can we have some candy? Well, it's like 8.30. It's late. I'm tired. I'm not in the mood to wrestle them right now, if I'm being honest. And so I look at my kids. I say, hey, not tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll do it tomorrow. Do you think my kids said, oh, that makes sense, Dad. That's for sure. We'll go to sleep. <laughs> Not what they said. <laughs> you know what? My, they looked at me and they said this, both of them. It's funny. They like work in unison. They said, Dad, you never let us have any candy. <laughs> you, never, never you let us have any candy. And I literally go, whoa, 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 stop right there. Before we left the house to go trick-or-treating, you each ate like three pieces of candy. And then while we were trick-or-treating, who knows how many pieces of candy you ate while we were doing that. I kept seeing you eat the candy. On top of that, since last Wednesday, when our, in our, fall, our Fallapalooza, they've been to four different events. And guess what they got there? Candy. <laughs> and every single day since then, guess what they've eaten? Candy. Every day since then, guess what I've eaten? Candy, right? I mean, <laughs> we've eaten candy this whole time. But that didn't matter in that moment. The only thing that mattered in that moment is that I told them, no, <laughs> you can't have any candy right now. And so their mind automatically went to this. You never let us have this. You never let us have it. That's a funny story, but it's amazing how easy it is for us to do it. These Israelites, the reason they got led away into sin is because they stopped remembering what God had done for them in the past. They forgot about it. So I'm going to give you a truth today. Forgetting about faithfulness in the past will naturally lead to ingratitude in the present. Forgetting about faithfulness in the past will naturally lead to ingratitude in the present. There is something that every one of us have to do. And I, you hear me say this often. But every single one of us have to make the decision to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. To remind ourselves what it is that Jesus has done for us. 
Because when we begin to take our eyes off of that, our eyes then get put onto ourselves and we no longer begin to remember and reflect upon the beauty and the, of, the grace of God. We begin to forget about the fact that we don't deserve God's grace at all. And so you know what that means? It means that slowly the very disease of ingratitude begins to creep into our hearts. We have to be careful. Must we we got to remember. Because here's what you'll find. It is amazing how much more willing you are to follow Jesus when you daily practice gratitude for what God has done for you. When you practice that gratitude, when you wake up in the morning and you just think about all the ways that God has blessed you, all the ways he's been with you, it's amazing how it changes your very heart. So the first disease they're struggling with is the the disease of ingratitude. The second disease they're struggling with is the disease of invincibility. The disease of invincibility. Look at verse 9. It's a very interesting verse. It says, The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. Look, the Israelites in this moment, here's what this means. They truly believed that they would not get caught. <laughs> they believed they weren't going to get caught. And honestly, what probably creeped into their, into their minds is even if they did, God wasn't going to do anything about it. Why? Because all of these years they've gotten away with it. They had become invincible. They thought there was no way they could be touched. In 2017, there was a major scandal that happened in the baseball world where the Houston Astros, actually it was caught in 2018, but the Houston Astros were caught cheating. I don't know if you remember the story. I'll kind of explain to you what happened. But the Houston Astros had a video room that was very close to their clubhouse, the dugout, okay? It was very close to the dugout. And what they were doing was they had a person who was sitting in the video room and they were watching the live feed of the game. Now, if you've ever watched a baseball game, what you know is the, the camera comes in from behind the pitcher. And so you can see the batter and you can see the catcher. And if it's a good feed, what you can also see is the signs the catcher is putting down for the pitcher, for the pitches they're wanting to use. And so what was happening was is a person was in that video room. They were watching the live feed. They were learning the signs of the catcher. And they were discerning between what was a fastball and what was a breaking ball. And when they saw that the catcher put down a sign for the breaking ball, someone in the dugout would bang a trash can hard two times so the batter would know that a breaking ball was coming. Now, it's been said that the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a baseball. If you've ever seen a baseball coming 95, 100 miles an hour, it is impossible. And you have to, I mean, you are, you're basically having to make a thought in your mind about what pitch you think is coming before it gets there. Now imagine, you know, it's either a fastball or a breaking ball that's coming at you. Well, this not only helped them win a couple of games, they went on and won the World Series. Here's why I tell you this. You see, what began as maybe an innocent way to get ahead, it turned into a full-on scheme that allowed them, in my opinion, to steal a World Series. Now, if there's an Astros fan in this room, I apologize. But it's true. Let's just own up to it in the moment, all right? They cheated, okay? But they, they did this. They, they, what started as a small thing. You see, and what was maybe intended to be like a one-time thing for a one-time game, it turned into something they did for every single home game that season. You know why? Because they didn't get caught. They didn't get caught. So they kept doing it. And they kept doing it. Every single home game. You see why? Because when they weren't caught the first time, they began to feel invincible. Like they couldn't be touched. That's what sin loves to do to us. 
is that when we begin to do something in secret and in private, we think there's no way anyone's ever going to find out. And here's what sin does. I've explained it to you this way before. Sin works on us like calluses do in our hands for when we work out. And so the first time it hurts. But then when we keep going back, we build these calluses on our hands and we don't feel it anymore. And then we don't even see that there's anything wrong with it. Our hands in some ways become invincible to the very bar that we're using for working out. That's what happens in our life. When we allow these things to fester, it makes us feel like we are invincible. But there's a problem with this. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. He says, There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. See, what Jesus teaches us is that the disease of invincibility will one day catch up with you. The Lord sees all, he hears all, and he knows all. And what he teaches us is that what is done in secret will be brought in the light. With that being so, it means that there is something that you can do to fight this spiritual disease. Do you know what it is? It's go ahead and expose it to the light. If it's going to be brought to the light anyways, expose it to the light. Confess it to your Father who loves you. Find forgiveness in Him and then find healing by walking along other people who are also walking in the light. As long as you stay in the darkness, it means you will stay in a place where disease loves to thrive. You've got to get into the light. Third, third disease that we see here is the disease of unsatisfiable desires. Disease of unsatisfiable desires. Verse 15, it says, They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. This verse teaches us a truth about idolatry. And it's this, that we become whatever we worship. See that? They followed worthless idols and therefore they became worthless this means this, that, that us just setting our eyes on the things of this world is not just that, but as we continue to walk in that, it means we become more like it. It begins to dictate everything about us. It really does change us. And what's scary about it is that it changes us from the inside out. It means that we often don't see it until it's gone full, full growth into our life. I heard the story about a young girl who was four years old, and um, she lived in North Wales. This is from 1999. This, was, this blew me away. This four-year-old girl started turning like yellowish-orange. And so the doctors rushed her to the, I mean, the, the, her parents rushed her to the hospital because they thought, is there something wrong with her kidneys? What is going on in this moment that she is turning orange? And so the doctors began to run all these tests on her to figure out what's going on. And guess what they figured out the problem was? This little four-year-old girl was drinking a liter and a half of Sunny Delight every single day. Sunny D. I mean, it's good stuff, right? But a liter and a half every single day. If you know anything about Sunny D, it is basically orange food coloring and sugar. <laughs> That's all it is. And what happened to her is that as she drank this, over time, she was drinking so much of it that her skin literally began to take on the Sunny Delight. It began to literally stain her skin. She was becoming Sunny Delight. Is that not crazy? Right here, what, what, what we see the writer tell us is that idolatry, the things that we love, the things that we can worship sometimes more than God, it can literally cause us to become those things. Why? And why does it get to that place? It's because those very things, they will never feel, fill our souls. They're empty. And I'll show you, that's exactly what the author says here. 
If we could read the original Hebrew, if I could have it in front of you, here's what it would read. They worshiped emptiness and became empty. They worshiped emptiness and became empty. This word used for empty right here is the word hevel. It means air, delusion, vanity. It's the same word that Solomon uses when he is um, writing in Ecclesiastes about everything in this world. It's all vanity, right? It's all hevel. Everything is hevel. What the author tells us and what you see all throughout the scriptures is that there is nothing in this world that can bring you satisfaction. Absolutely nothing. You see, everything that we seek to satisfy our desires, it ends up leaving us with nothing. It's air. It's delusion. It's worthless, as this passage says. And a continual pursuit of those empty desires will soon leave us worthless as well. That's just how it works. Tony Morita summarized it this way. He said, if money is your idol, then you'll never have enough. If you don't have any, it will crush you to the point of suicidal thoughts. If being popular is your idol, then being unpopular will crush you. If success is your idol, then you will live on a treadmill of pursuing one accomplishment after another. If sexual pleasure is your source of greatest pleasure, then no person or image of a person will ever thrill you enough. If a particular drug is your source of hope and strength, then you will only be enslaved, never liberated. These gods will never satisfy you. Brothers and sisters, there is only one who can satisfy every longing of your heart, every desire to be made known, and every desire to matter in this world. There is only one, and that is the God of the universe. Psalm 1611 says it this way. In God's presence is abundant joy, and at his right hand are eternal pleasures. At the right hand of the Father is eternal pleasures. If you're looking today for a void to be filled in your soul, it's only going to be filled by God. It's only going to be filled by God. And then finally today, this is where we'll end. The last disease that we see here is the disease of obstinance. The disease of obstinance. Look at verse 14. It says, but they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. It's interesting. It's, said that it's not that they just didn't listen to God's commands. It was that they refused to listen to God's commands. It's kind of like this. Tonight, when I, when I go home after this, we're going to be putting the kids to bed. I'm going to be tired, and I guarantee you I'm probably going to sit down on the couch. And then Sarah's going to say, Justin, can you gather up all the trash and then move the trash can to the road? Now, most likely, five minutes later, she's going to come back by, and I'm probably still going to be sitting in the same place on the couch. And she's going to say, Justin, did you not hear me? And the truth is, no, I heard her. I just didn't want to listen in that moment. I mean, that's just reality. But then I'm going to have to get up and I'm going to put the trash in. I'm going to take it to the road. That's what's going on here. It's not that they didn't hear. It's that they refused to listen. And something even worse than that is this, that they purposefully closed their ears to the voice of God. That's a scary thing. You see, this is what can happen in our lives sometimes. We can get so deep in the spiral of sin that we get to the point where we don't even want to hear the voice of God anymore because we feel like there's no way out. Or we feel like it's not worth, worth listening to. And then we become stubborn. And we don't want to listen to anything at that point. And it tells us why that happened. It happened because they, did no, they no longer believed in the Lord their God. They didn't believe in him anymore. As I conclude this today, let me just point this out. The major issue of the Israelites was not their actions. It was their heart. They had a diseased heart. 
And there is only one way that you can fix the spiritual diseases of someone's heart. And that's by getting a new one. And the good news for all of us in here today is that we know how we can get a new one. The Bible tells us that when we believe in him, he gives us a new heart. There might be someone here today who you are stuck. Those spiritual diseases have taken hold of you. And what you need today is a new heart. You need to believe in Jesus. But if I'm guessing for most of us in this room today, we have those new hearts. But here's what we know from living in this world. Having that new heart does not mean that we are not prone sometimes to letting this disease come back in, right? It happens. It happens. So here's our challenge as we leave here today. Let me leave you with this. When we leave here today, to keep from those diseases from taking over us, I'm going to ask for you to go home and before maybe you lay your head on your pillow, you ask the Lord to search your heart. You open it up to him. You ask him to search it. And as he searches, when he brings things to you, I ask that you would do this. Confess maybe your idolatry. Confess your ingratitude. Confess your secrecy, your indulgence on the unsatisfactory. Confess your stubbornness. Confess all of it. And watch this. And allow the graceful hands of the true heart surgeon to redeem every bit of it. Redeem that which is broken and make it new again. Ask him to do it. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for your word. Oh, it's so easy for us to forget about you. It's so easy to think that we can just get away with sins, not realizing you see everything. It's easy for us to chase the fleeting things of this world. And it's easy for us to close off our ears. Oh, Father, open up our hearts. Cleanse us from those things. And let us have a heart that beats for you. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.